Let's begin with prayer. Father God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for Christ our Lord, who has truly defeated death, who has come and brought us life. Christ, who has come upon us and lived among us, who has died, who has risen. And in him we have our hope, our life, we have all that we need. Thank you for Christ our Lord. Thank you for the love that you've given us. You do love us. Your love is certain and real. Thank you, Father. Teach us your word. Guide us in, with your spirit. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hope is essential to life. Hope is the means by which we understand purpose and meaning. In a powerful article titled, Dying of Despair, psychiatrist Aaron Kierty observes the startling rise in deaths from suicide and drug overdoses. He writes, over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he's suffering, nor, the, nor whether he's rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. We cannot live without hope. In his book of Boys and Men, researcher Richard Rees writes, men are much more likely to commit suicide than women. This is a worldwide long-standing pattern. Several of my male friends, he writes, struggle with addiction and depression or other conditions that could be named, but the more common complaint was something vaguer, a quiet desperation that if I were forced to generalize, seemed to stand from a nine cents of purposelessness, purposelessness, yes, say that. If you're feeling that way, don't do it. There's people here who love you, we love you, and there's a God who loves you. Do not do it. Another study on male suicides tracked the words or phrases that men who have attempted suicide most often use to describe themselves. At the top of the list were two words, useless and worthless. You are not worthless. There's a God who loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. What is behind these words of worthless and useless is this restlessness that we have. What is restless means a lack of peace. In the book of Isaiah, we read this, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. What is behind the word restless is sin. A restless heart competes with peace, and, and without peace in the heart, there's a struggle to have hope. And since the heart is restless and without peace, it struggles to find hope and it struggles to find a solution to find what is needed. In Solomon's personal journal, Ecclesiastes, he begins by saying, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Later in this first chapter of Solomon's journal, he writes, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. As you read, you see this lack of meaning and purpose and hope. Solomon saw in his wisdom the futility of life which man lives. 
We go about our lives thinking we have changed something, but in reality, the world continues in the same pointless direction, heading to the same deadly destination without any ability to change the pattern or alter the destination. The futility of this age cannot be solved by our human efforts or rationality because we were never designed to live in a world in conflict with God. We were not designed to be hostile to God, angry with God, to live our lives apart from God, because we find that we have no purpose and meaning when we live our lives apart from him. We have a restless heart and it becomes difficult to live and navigate the valleys of, and mountains and ravines of life. There doesn't seem a, a direction to follow and wisdom seems to elude us. But our God loves us so deeply and wonderfully. He says, I want to show you a path to follow, a direction to go and a life to live. I want you free from the carnage of this evil age. I want to give you the love you need, the meaning you require, and the calling you wish to know. God designed you to know him, love him, and follow him. Our solution is found in our God who created us and loves us. He loves you. And that love is so amazing. It's overwhelming. In, in Psalm 25, we read, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. In Proverbs, we read, Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there's a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Ecclesiastes is the opposite of Proverbs, it seems like. When wisdom is not found, you find yourself in Ecclesiastes and going, everything seems meaningless. When you come to God, repent of your sins and find Christ, and you find wisdom, you find yourself in Proverbs. <laughs> it is interesting that in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman who is calling out. We read this in Proverbs 1. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. Wisdom is calling out and no one's paying attention. Since no one is paying attention, the wisdom will not be found. And wisdom will not be known. We become fools as we travel life's road, hoping to find something. But Proverbs is clear. The sound of wisdom has been muted and thus ignored. This is why the pursuit of meaning and purpose will not be found by us or within us. In another great verse in Proverbs, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. The phrase I want you to look at very closely is, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. You'll never find what you need in yourself. I will not find what I need in me, in my wisdom. I can get all the education I need. I can get all the money I need. I can get all the things in this world that it offers. I will never find what I need in me. Do not lean on your own understanding. 
I will never find what I need in me, no matter how hard I look, but I will find what I need in God. When I trust him and acknowledge him, then my path is found and my hope is assured. Your understanding is limited. Your understanding is sinful and it will deceive you. But God understanding is life, hope and truth. Our path is Christ. Follow God. Go where he tells you. Listen to his voice. Unmute wisdom and mute the world. Let us show the world to unmute God and mute itself. God designed us to hear him and to know him. And he desires you to know him and to follow him. So I I challenge you today, trust the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord with all your heart. You know, in the letter to the Romans that we've been going through, uh, Paul wrote to the, the church this gospel message he has been preaching and planting churches. And in chapter 8, he has shown how powerful and beautiful the gospel message is and, and what it brings us to. Where does the gospel lead you to? Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. What else does it take us? Look at verse 15 in chapter 8. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Yeah, I love those words. It's just so beautiful, those words. We have taken, God has taken your fear away. He has brought you into his family. He's adopted you. And now you're an heir of God, co-heirs of Christ. When you hear that phrase, co-heirs of Christ, that'll blow your mind. What in the world? You are a car. That's what the gospel takes you to. The gospel takes you all the way to the father's lap. Takes you all the way to the place you were designed to go. It brings you to the very person of God himself. It brings you to the place of reconciliation, healing, and forgiveness. You're brought before God into a relationship where you're given all that Christ has. We get what Christ has. But this comes at a cost. It costs God his son to die on the cross and rise again. And it will cost you your life and your will and your direction. It will cost you your reputation as the world will hate you for following Christ. It will cost you whatever the world decides to take away. But it's worth it. For when what for you are given what this world desperately needs. And now you give to those around you and what you have while they f- take from you, you show them Christ. So trust the Lord with all your heart. Number one, the world is cursed with sin. Let's take a look at verse 18 of chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You know, when you read these, these verses, three words come out, the word anxious, suffering, and futility. In light of what we read in verses 15 and 17, you definitely see a contrast. We are heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ. That's a marvelous promise and a wonderful life. But we still live in a world where sin is chosen and God is hated. 
What does that mean? You will face persecution and hate from the world. This is, there's a false message that is being preached today in our society. And if you do not receive it and accept it and preach it yourselves, you'll be punished, you'll be judged. Typically, you'll be canceled, ridiculed, and in some cases, fired. Some celebrities have been canceled, Matt Damon and J.K. Rowling. Many tried to cancel J.K. Rowling because she supported and agreed with the statement, the simple statement, men cannot become women. That's it. They tried to cancel it for that. Coach uh, Tony Dungy was heavily criticized, and he may be fired from his NBC sports analyst job. Why was he criticized? Because he attended the March for Life rally in January. This message that is preached does not allow for different opinions, different views, and different thoughts. You accept it or you die. Because of this, the creeds that the culture has created and demanding that you say will continue to challenge the gospel message. It will marginalize the church, outlaw the gospel, and ban the message. How do we respond? We love. How do we respond? We love. We love in the way God showed us to love. We speak the gospel regardless of how it is viewed. We face the consequences regardless of what they are. And we love and we show them Christ. We face the consequences. We say what Peter said in Acts 4. Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Later on, when threatened again to, because he was speaking the gospel, he said this, we must obey God rather than men. Then right after that, Peter started preaching the gospel when he said that. <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. The enemy hates the gospel. He does. And he will fight against it. And he'll use people to fight you. He'll use government to fight you. He will do what he can to stop you. He will intimidate you. But one thing I do know is that the gospel will be preached to every nation. And then the end will come. And no government will be able to stop it. No government has been able to stop it. The gospel message will be marginalized. Preach it anyway. The world will attack. Preach it anyway. Why? Because the world needs to hear it. Following Christ will invite suffering, yes. But in that suffering, the gospel is made known. Christ is made known in his suffering through you. Christ is revealed and hope is offered. So trust the Lord with all your heart. Number one, Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope. You know, Paul said that the suffering we face today because of our allegiance to Christ, does not compare with the glory with we will know when we stand before the holy, awesome God. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians wrote, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. In verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Oh, it doesn't even compare. Imagine with me standing before the holy throne of God. What could compare with that? It would, you can't even compare it. can't even use words to describe it. There's not enough adjectives to get you to, to understand what that would be like. So amazing, so beautiful, so awesome to stand before the awesome holy God with the choir of angels singing holy. 
So we, we do have to say, words fell us to realize what's in store for us when we walk into heaven. What we endure today is for a moment, but what awaits us is forever. In the Bible, in Psalm 30, it says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. But Paul is pointing out here in these verses that, that the creation is under a curse, this curse of sin. The effects of that sin is hostility toward God and the things of God. Sinful people are walking according to the flesh and their minds are set on the flesh. The mindset creates hostility toward God. And when you're hostile to God, guess what? We will be hostile to each other. We are divided, filled with conflict, anger, pain, and fear. Then God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, who died for you, who rose again for you. He died for your sin, for your sins. He saves you. He forgives you. He heals you. The hatred is now turned in love toward him. You are now given the spirit of joy and peace. Fear is taken away. Fear begins to die. You're adopted. You're invited into the lap of the father. You're co-heirs of Christ. You have been given the love of God. His love flows through you. You're now experiencing love so amazing. And you want everyone to know this love. But the world does not want to hear it. Because they're still hostile to God. So, they, so you suffer. You suffer because people reject God's love. You suffer when they reject you and turn against you. The world suffers under the turmoil of sin. People suffer. Families suffer. Children suffer. Marriages suffer. Governments suffer. We suffer. And creation now itself suffers under the weight of sin. The land, the sea, the animals, they suffer from the curse of sin. And what this creation suffers from is futility. What is futility? Meaninglessness. It is vanity of vanities. Sin is what leads to futility. There is no meaning in life with sin. There is no purpose. The design that God created you that is, is for is not followed. And the direction that he has prov- provided for is not taken. You take 18 and 19 of these verses, 18 and 19, and you compare it with verses 15 and 7 through 17. You see that without God, there's no meaning. There's futility. The curse of the, that the world is experiencing is a curse of not trusting God. But trusting everything but God, trusting our deceitful desires, trusting the intelligence of humanity, trusting the rationality of humanity. Trusting ideas that have been debunked, trusting those in power or or trusting revolutionaries. But in the end, it all leads to the same place. The futility of what we have created. Creation and humanity suffer under the weight of sin. But it doesn't have to. In Galatians, we read this beautiful verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Uh, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Our Christ took the curse away from us. Christ became a curse for us. We were cursed, but Christ has removed that curse. Now we can live in the blessing of Christ and no longer under the curse of sin. That's why we can trust God. Trust God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Number two, the world groans under the weight of death. Let's take a look at verse 21. That the creation itself, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth, uh, childbirth together until now. The world groans under the weight of death. At the age of 23, De Rado was somewhat something of a late bloomer when she qualified for the 2016 Olympics. She had just missed qualifying the 2012 Olympics, and everyone knew, including Dorado, that this would be her one and only chance to compete in the Olympic Games. She would be competing in the 400-meter medley, the 200-meter medley, and the 200-meter backstroke. She credited her coach for pushing her to try for the Olympic team. While this was her goal, it was not her purpose. She told Yahoo Sports, I don't think God really cares about my swimming very much. This is not my end purpose to make the Olympic team. When asked what she thinks God does care about as she prepares for Rio, Dorado replied, I think God cares about my soul and whether I'm bringing his love and mercy into the world. Can I be a loving, supportive teammate? Can I bless others around me in the same way God has seen, been so generous with me? Wow, that's beautiful. And in case you're wondering about those goals, she medaled in all four events, taking home one bronze, one silver, and two gold medals. You could say that Dorado had a goal of meddling in the Olympics, but goals are not always your purpose in life. How do we understand what purpose is? Number one, rest knowing God is sovereign. Rest knowing God is sovereign. When I say rest, it means to have peace, not to be complacent, but to have peace. When you understand that God is sovereign, you recognize he's in control. I am not. He's able to solve my problems that, that I have. And he has done that. When you understand he's sovereign, you recognize he has a plan. The plan of humanity is not the plan of God, by the way. The flesh sets its mind on what the flesh wants, but the mindset on the spirit on what God wants. What God wants, God will get. God is in control. His plans, it looks like they're frustrated, but his plans are, will not be frustrated. In Psalm 33, we read this. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. What God wants to do is to save the world. He wants to save you. He wants to save people. He, wants to, he does not want to condemn the world. He wants people to come to Christ, repent of their sins, and find their life in him. That's what he desires. We're told in Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You see, God has a plan, and then that plan is for good works to be accomplished, his good works, and he has them ready for you. It was natural, and it will be natural in Christ to do them in faith because of Christ to produce these works that he's called us to do because he has them ready for you. He created you for this purpose. If you look at Ephesians 1 again, we, look, uh, we see God's plan, verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. His plan is to sum up all things under Christ, unto Christ. That's his plan. If you're not doing the work of God that God has for you, you then whatever you're doing is futile. You begin to fight against the direction that God has for you. 
Paul said that the creation was subjected to futility and hoped that it would be set free. The setting free is submitting to God, following after him and doing the works that he has for you to fulfill and to follow. You can do this and will do this when you come to Christ, submit to him and follow him. Creation does not know it's struggling under the weight of sin. That is why we as followers of Christ are to declare to all creation, you're following the wrong plan. You're fighting for the wrong things. You're living contrary to what God has for you. And he has designed you. He created you to be this and not that. Creation itself suffers under the curse of sin. But in Christ, God redeems. He heals. He brings back what was once lost. The hope of creation, by the way, is found in Revelations 21 when it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, don't get messed up with that no longer any sea, like there's no ocean in heaven. <laughs> uh, the, the word sea, especially in the Old Testament, has to do with chaos, you know, because it's a constant churning of the ocean. It was a, to the Jewish people, mindset, that was chaos. So he's basically saying there's no longer any chaos in heaven. It's gone. What does this new heaven and new earth look like in verses uh, 1 through 3 of 21? I think I have one there. And I hear a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There will no longer any curse. The curse is gone. Sin is gone. The fleshly mindset destroyed. Death has died. The curse is over. You know, I love that phrase where it says God himself will be among them. That's heaven right there. That is the most amazing thing there. Standing in the midst of God, walking with him. All this. And when you're in the midst, when you're standing in the midst of God, of course, all those other things will go away. The whole creation groans for what we want, or what we read in Revelation 21. It groans for the curse to be over, for death to die, for God to be near. Creation is calling its creator. We're calling for our creator. I trust God that his plan will happen. I know it will happen. I tell you, trust God with all your heart. And number three, the world needs the hope of the gospel. Let's look at 23. And not only this, but we, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So I always like to ask, there's no hope in heaven, right? Because once you're in heaven, you're experiencing everything, right? <laughs> what are you hoping for? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> in a new national survey, 2016, 18 to 24-year-olds report that having a clear purpose in life is the biggest part of being a real adult. The problem is most young people don't feel like they found that sense of purpose. More than 86% of young adults say that making decisions in line with their purpose makes them an adult according to a national survey. But only 43% that said they have a clear picture of what they want in life. 36% say their career path aligns with per life purpose. And only 30% know why they are here. 
Christine B. Wellen, a professor at University of Wisconsin-Madison, concludes, this study isn't good news. Coasting is existing, not thriving. The majority of young adults who say they don't have a clear picture of what they want in life also say they are existing but not thriving, while those with purpose more often say they are thriving. There's no sense of purpose because God's plan is not known. The truth is not taught. Love is not given. Christ has been rejected, and God is not trusted. Let's make sure we tell those around us the best news there is. All of creation suffers under the weight of the curse of sin. Even we as followers of Christ suffer in the midst of this evil age. We face the turmoil of living in the conflict of evil, deceitful desires, persecution, and deception. It's all around us. We know the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but he's defeated. We know false messages are taught to us every day. We're indoctrinated every day about what to believe and what to say. We're force-fed and inundated with so much information. Teach this, say this, believe this. Then to top it off, we're threatened for our relationship with Christ. We're told to be silent, stop talking, keep your mouth shut. We wait for what God has for us. We wait for the adoption to be fully known. We wait for that glorious day when we stand before that holy, awesome God. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. We will get new bodies. Praise God. This waiting is our hope. Our hope is established in God's word. So finally, number one, God's love is our hope. God does love you. Affirm it every day. You know, you can hear that. God loves me, but you don't believe it. Nope, don't believe it. Affirm it every day. God, yes, you do love me. Yes, you do love me. In the Bible, we read this in Isaiah. The earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed the laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. It doesn't sound loving, does it? Sounds kind of a depressing verse there. <laughs> Don't read that. <laughs> this is what we deserve. This is what God, who is holy, must do to sin. He must punish sin. God has every right to punish sin. He must punish sin. It is, a, it is his prerogative to punish sin. But he didn't punish you. Instead, Christ bore the brunt of all our sin. He was punished for what we deserved. All of God's anger was unleashed on, our Christ, on Christ our Lord. God was not angry with Christ, but with us. But he, he took the curse. He took the wrath. The curse devours the earth, but Christ is the blessing of God. Paul wrote very pointedly, for in hope we have been saved. You are saved, and one day you'll be saved completely in every way. Your body will be saved. Your mind will be saved. Your heart will be saved. Your thoughts, your will, your very words will be saved to the uttermost. And the intimacy you long for in God will be fully known. We can now know salvation. We can now experience right now the intimacy with God. We can now enjoy the benefits of forgiveness of sins, the sanctification of our soul, the adoption into God's family. Today you can know this, but one day fully we will stand before the august throne of God 
singing that glorious refrain, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is our hope. That's what our souls long for. This is what creation was created for. This is what sin ruined. But this is what God, Christ, has redeemed us for. God has a plan. He's working that plan. This plan is happening. It may not seem like it. You look in this world and it looks like you're losing God every day. He's not losing. As he told Elijah, I reserve for myself myself 7,000 knees. Uh, People have not bowed their knee to bow. He's not losing. He's fulfilling what he wants. God is accomplishing what he wants. I want to be used of God to fulfill his plan. I trust his plan. And I see what his plan is. And so together, I hope we can trust him for our families, our spouses, our children, our finances, our ministries, our future. Our future is sure because of Christ. So trust God with all your heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have. Your word is true, Lord. Your love is real. And I pray, Lord, that you would cover each person here with your presence, your Holy Spirit, that we'd walk out ready to serve you, to shine the light of Christ on others, to bless others, to bring healing to those who are hurting and lost. And I thank you that you have given us a hope that is real. 